0: The Bible is this wonderful book of books, right? It's this great compilation of all of these different genres, especially the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. It's full of a bunch of historical narratives that tell tales of God's people, capturing all their trials and tribulations, as well as God's faithfulness. And these historical writings are accompanied by prophetic writings, hundreds of pages of the Bible written by prophets who were trying to tell us things we don't really want to hear. And people like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Obadiah, Jonah, Habakkuk, all kinds of guys with really interesting names, um, and Micah, they saw the world around them and were called by God to upset the status quo. The insight they were given by God helped them to see the ways people were not living up to what God had asked of them. They criticized and critiqued. But they also used powerful words inspired by God to help change people's actions. They wanted the people around them to change direction, to see God's powerful, faithful presence, and to make changes in their behavior as a result. It's a delicate balance, and our prophet Micah, whose words we heard this morning, is an example of this. To begin with, let's talk a little bit about Micah, and then perhaps we can understand what his words, written thousands of years ago, have to say to us. Micah lived during the first quarter of the 8th century BCE. That's approximately 700 years before Jesus was born. Like his contemporaries Hosea, Amos, and the very famous Isaiah, Micah lived during a very tumultuous time in the life of the people of Israel. The kingdom of Israel was divided. Micah lived in a rural area of the southern kingdom of Judah, not that far from Jerusalem. Life for almost everyone in Judah was really hard. Radical change was taking place inside and outside the kingdom. And the people around Micah were suffering the consequences. Throughout the book, Micah paints a horrifying picture of political oppression and economic exploitation by the strong and powerful against the weak and dispossessed. Micah's critique is rooted in covenant theology, which goes all the way back to God revealing God's self to Moses in the desert. Micah understands that God has entrusted the land to the people, and the people are bound through their relationship with God to care for it well, in perpetuity. This symbiotic, balanced relationship means that the people thrive and the land is well cared for. But Micah sees that this is all falling apart because all he sees around him is greed and power structures that do not respect this covenantal relationship between the people and the land. As a result, all but those at the top are suffering. Michael warns them that God will not support this, but they aren't listening. The passage we heard this morning is the beginning of a covenant lawsuit. So imagine that we are in the second half of a Law and Order episode. In the chapters before this, the evidence has been collected, and now we find ourselves at the pivot point. We are hearing the case being made. The first two verses are the prophet, Speaking to us, calling the courtroom to order. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the controversy of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with his people, and he will contend with Israel. The very land itself is serving as judge and jury in this case. The mountains, the hills, the very foundations of the earth are called upon to listen to the evidence. The plaintiff, God, makes a case. The Lord speaks and restates how very much God has done for the people. God provided leadership in the people of Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. God recalls several times when God has saved the people, including the Exodus. And then the people of Israel defend themselves with a question. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? This is a calculated question said by people who are responding defensively. The subtext here is, are we always going to be in debt to you for that whole Exodus thing? Will we ever be able to get it right? I mean, really. And the list of things that they might bring to the Lord as offerings to set things right is just a long list of items that they are attempting to use to buy God's favor. They don't really want to change. They just want a quick fix. And instead of responding to this litany of extremes, the prophet responds with a universal rule that is good for all people. The people want to write a check to fix things, and God counters with instructions on how to live every single day of their lives, an outline that will be much more challenging, one that will require them to change everything about themselves, one that will ask them to extend grace reflexively to all people, not because they deserve it, but because we all need this type of grace, and that is what God gives to each of us. And this final sentence is one of the most loved verses in all of scripture. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? It is a beautiful piece of scripture, but now that we've seen how it relates to the context, we know it is not a simple platitude. Micah is basically saying to the people that this is the way to live and that no one is doing it. No one is living according to the ways God has asked them to live and the result will be more suffering. The people's suggestions on how to make things right are hollow and extreme. There are no quick fixes when we have caused harm. There is no easy way to make amends except to change our behavior. And if we really look at it, doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly are not easy things for most of us to do with any regularity. Certainly not easy for me. We like to think that we're good at them, perhaps. But how well do we walk the walk? When I was a little girl, I used to say I'm sorry all the time. I'd do something and I'd say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, over and over again, like that was a fix for everything. My dad hated it so much that he actually banned that phrase from my vocabulary. He knew I was using the language of apology as an excuse, like somehow saying I was sorry made up for doing something that I knew I wasn't supposed to do in the first place. As an adult, I learned about the process of making amends. Amends is much more than saying sorry. It is taking responsibility for having harmed another person. It is taking steps to change our actions so that we might make the wrong right in whatever way that we can. Certainly, it is making, setting out never to do it again. Sometimes, it's a simple issue. If something is taken without permission, stolen, then it should be replaced with interest. But more often than not, the pain that we inflict on those around us is much more complicated than that. How do we make amends when we have gossiped? Or when we have kept silent in the face of injustice? Each of us has to search ourselves and find ways to make amends for whatever wrongs we have committed, amends that truly show an omission of wrongdoing, a willingness to change, and actions that show we are moving in another direction. As with most healing, there are no quick fixes. Time takes time. We have to move with consistency in a different direction than the one we have taken before. Micah, like most prophets, was telling the people something they really didn't want to hear, but that God knew they needed to hear. We are no different. We may want to recite this verse like a beautiful piece of text, but the meaning of it is deep and powerful and calls us out. We live in a world where people are suffering all around us, and all too often we think the solution is some version of a quick fix, like the defendants in our text offering tens of thousands of rivers of oil. Or if we realize that giving more of something isn't going to fix it, then perhaps we think violence or vitriol or isolation will do the trick. Doing justice means God's justice, means hesed, loving kindness for all people at all times. Love without justice is sentimentality. When anyone, anywhere, is suffering, then we are not living in a world where we are doing justice. Walking humbly with our God means knowing that human solutions are flawed, and all anger, and all hatred, and all violence, and all oppression are evil. Every single one of us benefits from someone else's oppression in some way. And that breaks my heart. Micah is calling us to make amends. Micah is asking us to change our behavior, to choose another path, to take actions that move us towards God's solution. Where we say, we don't know. Where we say, we don't have the answers. Where we say, No one should suffer and die at the hands of another human being, no matter what, because we are not God, and we don't get to judge. The Lord requires us to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. When it feels like the world is falling apart all around us, it can be overwhelming, and we just want to escape from it. I certainly want to escape from it sometimes, but the prophets remind us that escape is not an option. So, I will be attempting to do what Micah calls us to do for the rest of my life. I fail all the time. But time takes time, and there are no quick fixes, and I know this. So I continue to make amends one step at a time, one next right action at a time. Will you join me? Let us answer Micah's call to action. Let us walk forward together.